But I know you were in good hands. Uh, Pastor Larry Powers uh, from Calvary Chapel Golden Springs, just uh, an amazing teacher. And uh, but but more than that, I mean, really anyone can accumulate knowledge in the Word of God and and uh, and teach it. But there's something else that is missing oftentimes, and um, hopefully not too often, right? And that's that's that unction that comes by the Spirit of God. And, um, and just just great love that Larry has for Jesus and um, for God's people. And so it just like, doesn't it just ooze out of him? Who's here? You guys are all here, yeah? It, it does. It's like, man, this, uh, I love being around him. He's very encouraging, always um, just uplifting, and uh, he's, he's just a, a good person. A solid brother in the Lord to uh, to look to, so I am thankful to him for coming and um, and sharing the word with you. Um, and just with the with the the graphic that was put up in regards to Easter, uh, the services. So we have a Good Friday Good Friday service on Friday, of course, and then we have sunrise service in the morning uh, at uh, Hunter Hobby Park, as well as uh, our normal 10 o'clock service here, and use the graphic, um, use um, the, the short video that we have as well, uh, I like how it's short and to the point, um, it's, it's one of those to where uh, people, you know, sometimes we put these long videos on um, Facebook or Instagram or whatever, well, not too long on Instagram, huh? they don't allow them, um, but, uh, but Facebook, and it's like, how many of you honestly get through the, the past the like thirty second mark? It's like okay, you've seen it. It's like okay, so you move on, right? So I love that. Hey, listen, sunrise service uh, Sunday six thirty Hunter Hobby Park. Come on out and be a part of the celebration of our risen Lord. And so I encourage you to take that and share it. Use it, share it. You know because it's not enough just to like stuff. I know uh, we post stuff on Facebook, but it's not enough. It's like like is one thing. It's like okay, so you looked at it. But um, for you to get the word out and for it to be um, displayed in front of the people who you know, you have to share it. And so share them. Like the messages. Every Sunday, every Wednesday, we broadcast the messages on Facebook. They're on Facebook Live. But they're also recorded so you can go back to them and listen to them. Um, It's fine if you watch it. If you're not here for some reason, you're sick or whatever. Um or you're away, but if you really want that to impact, the Word of God to impact other people that you know, you have to share it. You have to share it. That's where the greatest impact is made. So I encourage you to do that. Now, um, this is the the first Sunday, uh, last Sunday. um, Of course, again, we weren't here. Um, I know it uh, it was a difficult Sunday as well. And um, it's, it's amazing how you think um, and you consider and you reflect on uh, just how deeply someone's impacted you. And, um, and you know, as, as we've been uh, just looking at, at pictures and... Um, and then just hearing the stories from each and every one of you. Um, you know, our sister Dee, she was called home. She was called home. She's home. 
we know exactly where she is, right? And um, the love that we have for her um, hasn't diminished. It's only grown even that much more as we consider her and the impact that she has made on us. I think about how she was always so hospitable and resourceful. You know, um, the... uh, For the Christmas play, she made she made all of the costumes, all of them. Um, when the women um, they came to a point to where um, the hospitality, you know, and the things that were being brought for the women's um, studies, you know, it, it sometimes we understand it gets to be a, a bit much, and and so um, Dee just wouldn't hold back. She would always bring everything. And um, I know for us, she'll be dearly missed. Dearly missed. Um, But again, I, I need to remind you that because she placed her hope in Jesus Christ, we know exactly where she is. For the Apostle Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's why it's so important for us to get our eternity correct, to get it right. It, it's not enough to, uh, to put it off. You know what I mean? It's like when all is said and done, you know, we want to know that we have been made right with the Father through the Son. Because that certainly is where, where our hope lies. It's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If it wasn't certain, then God would not have told us that. But he is truth. And that's why at the same time we have heavy hearts, but at the same time we rejoice. We truly do. We rejoice because she is in the arms of the Lord. She is in all of his glory. And um, I'm, I'm sure that she looks forward to seeing those of us with her as we place our faith in Jesus Christ and we, we join her in worshiping the Lord together for all eternity. For all eternity. This is just momentary, but that's for all eternity. So... We rejoice. In fact, this morning, as we go into the story that took place a little over 2,000 years ago in a city called Jerusalem, as Jesus was coming and about to enter Jerusalem, I'm reminded of the fact that we can look back and rejoice at the fact that in Christ we have this hope and we rejoice greatly because salvation is here. They looked at him as the conquering king when in fact he was the suffering servant at that time. There is a time when he is going to come back as the conquering king. And he will not be riding on a lowly colt, but he will be riding upon a white stallion and coming as the conquering king. And his saints, by the way, you know what we'll be doing? 
Do you guys know what we'll be doing? We'll be coming with him. Isn't that amazing? That's absolutely amazing. But it's true. So let's take a moment and pray for our time together in, in the word. And uh, just ask for God's blessing. Father, we come to you this morning. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its certainty. Lord, there is nothing in your word that will not come to pass. As you say, so it is. We thank you, Lord, that we can come this morning and celebrate this day. Father, it's a day worth rejoicing over, Father. Palm Sunday, a day in which, yes, Jesus was hailed as king, but they had it wrong at that point, but so true in the realm of eternity. I pray, Father, that you would bless our time in your word. Father, that we in our hearts would be certain of our salvation. For salvation has truly come, and in Christ we can rejoice greatly, both now and for eternity. And so, Lord, we commit this morning into your hands, Father. We ask your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. So let's start out by going to the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then there's John. So John chapter 12 is what we're going to be taking a look at initially. John chapter 12. So John chapter 12, verse 12. And by the way, um, in all four Gospels, the account of the triumphal entry is recorded. Um, so it's important. It's, um, you can look at Matthew's account. You can look at uh, Mark and Luke. And, and right now we're going to take a look at John. But it's found in all four Gospels. So let's take a look. John chapter 12, verse 12. The next day, the, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. In Jerusalem, there was great excitement. There was great excitement. This was the feast. This was the pinnacle of the year. This is when everyone came to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And there were tens of thousands of people who would make that pilgrimage into the city of Jerusalem to celebrate this day. Passover, Pesach, is what they were celebrating and the excitement of the crowds was just, you can, you can feel it in the air. There was rejoicing. And it was just, uh, it was a time of celebration. Even the Pharisees at that point, as Jesus was making his way in, I want to uh, bring you to note this, is that even they were conceding to Jesus. In John chapter 12, verse 19, it says, So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. 
And we certainly pray that the world goes after Jesus. We do. Why? Because in Christ we know salvation. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the time. They knew the law inside and out. And yet, they were the ones who were called out more by Jesus than any other group of people. Why? Because we can be really religious. On the surface, we could look really good to each other. But it really doesn't matter how we look to each other on the surface. What matters is how we are before God in our hearts. If we've surrendered, submitted ourselves to Him or not. We can be as... Jesus called the religious leaders, he called them whitewashed tombs. Look good on the outside, but full of dead men's bones. We are dead. We are dead in our trespasses, dead in our sins, as we remain in them. But Jesus came to seek and save the lost. For three years, Jesus has been walking out the will of the Father, which included this day the fulfillment of, of Zechariah 9.9, which says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is its fulfillment. Right before their eyes, Zechariah 9.9 was coming to fruition. Completion. Right here, the fullness of time. Before all of Jerusalem, the Passover was coming. It was quickly approaching. But here was the king of Jerusalem, the king of Israel, entering into Jerusalem and being hailed as king. For three years he has performed miracle after miracle after miracle, displaying his power and authority pointing to the fact that he is the Son of God. He poured himself into 12 men, teaching them, discipling them, bringing them up, and these 12 men were going to turn the world right side up. Not upside down, but right side up. He has all kinds of eyewitnesses, of all that has taken place, all that is about to take place, up to and including the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, his resurrection and his ascension. All of these things uh, he had eyewitnesses to. There's so much biblical and extra biblical documentation of this very fact. This is a fact, it cannot be disputed. It was about a week before the day of his crucifixion that Jesus had gone to the home of Mary and Martha and he did one thing that was beyond comprehension. He performed a miracle. Lazarus was raised from the dead. And by the time Jesus gets to Jerusalem, well, the crowd is absolutely primed. In fact, in verses 17 and 18... These two verses give us the reason why the crowds were gathered unto Jesus. Verse 17 says, The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. 
The reason why the crowd went, went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign, and that is the raising of Lazarus. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was not going to be a casual stroll. It was full of meaning. It was intentional. It was deliberate, and it was all by plan, the plan of the Father. He had come deliberately to declare that he was the King of Israel, the Anointed One, the promised Messiah, the one who had been predicted by the prophets of God. And about a year before this, Jesus was teaching a large crowd out in the country. It was getting late and people were hungry. You remember the time. They were getting hungry. The day was late. He had been teaching all day. So Jesus instructed his disciples to feed all the, the people who were gathered, right? About 5,000 people, 5,000 men. And if you add uh, women and children, oh, it's well over 10,000 people that Jesus performed the miracle of multiplying the fish and the loaves of bread into enough food to feed them all. And then 12 baskets of food were left over even after that. The crowd was so impressed that they wanted to make him a king. John chapter 6 verse 15 says, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. It was not his time. Now is his time. But then was not his time. The crowd sensed that Jesus had the bearing to be the long-awaited king of Israel. Oh, he's the Messiah. He's the one that will take us out under the ruling hand of the Romans. But the kind of king they wanted wasn't what Jesus had in mind, at least not at that point, nor came to do at that time. They wanted an earthly king, a king who would sit upon the throne of David to lead in battle against the hated Romans. They despised them. They wanted an earthly king. But when it became apparent that Jesus wasn't going to be that kind of king for them, the crowds turned on him. They called for his blood. And they crucified him. And Pontius Pilate offered Barabbas or Jesus, to be turned over. They yelled, crucify him. It's Jesus, crucify him. But this was all for part of the Father's will. See, it's uh, his plan of salvation. It, it's the way in which he has demonstrated his love toward us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is all a part of God's plan of salvation. From the foundation of the world, he had this all laid out. In God's perfect knowledge, he knew exactly the way things were going to go, the way they were going to turn out. He knew it all. Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 19 says, And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. This was beforehand. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Jesus was preparing his disciples, telling them, this is going to be happening very soon. As, as the Son of Man would be lifted up for all to see, he would, in doing that, draw all men unto himself. By what? By the shedding of his blood, he would demonstrate his love to the whole world. 
That's how he draws us to himself. When we realize his, his, the depth of his love toward each and every one of us. Later, he would tell Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of the world. John 18, 36. And Jesus' kingdom indeed is not of this world, but his kingdom is certainly for this world. May we never forget that. Because in understanding that, in acknowledging that, he allows us to have his heart toward all mankind. Sharing the gospel with others. Having grace and mercy toward all. Patience. That others may also come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He came to save. For his kingdom to indwell those who know Jesus as Lord and Savior. This entry into Jerusalem was one that was prophesied about by Zechariah and in no way would be misconstrued as being anything but the picture of the king coming into the city of David just as it had been prophesied. There's no way. What we have before us is Jesus disclosing who he is, not just to his disciples, but to all people, to the whole world. He's proclaiming, yes, I am the Messiah. I am the Savior of the world. I have come. But not all see this and not all respond, even today, in a favorable way. The stage is set. People are coming into Jerusalem from all over thousands. Tens of thousands of people are beginning to pour into the city. All of the local hotels are completely booked up. Literally, there are people all over the place to celebrate Passover, and Jesus and his disciples are coming as well. Having arrived at the Mount of Olives, Jerusalem can now be seen just beyond the valley, and Jesus calls for his disciples to bring him a donkey that had never been written, ridden. They found the donkey just as he said, and Zechariah 9.9 was fulfilled before their very own eyes. As Jesus rode into Jerusalem on this donkey. So, who is this man? That's really the question that we have to answer for ourselves. It's not something that someone else can answer for us. It's a confession that needs to come personally from each one of us. I remember being asked that very same question, reading through, through Scripture myself, being drawn to the fact that this man, this, this friend of mine, this co-worker, he just had something that just was different from anyone else. And I remember, I'm so glad I asked him the question, what's up, Mike? What's up with you? What are you all about? He explained it to me, but I wasn't like saved on the spot. He gave me his Bible. I read through the Gospel of John, and I understood I, more than what I had before. I had a lot of questions, but there was this moment to where I, for my myself, personally, no one made it for me. No, no one made this confession for me. I didn't grow up in a home and, and thought that maybe perhaps because I was born into this home that I was saved. I came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ when I understood and acknowledged for myself that Jesus certainly is the Son of God 
And there is salvation in no one else, just in Jesus Christ. And I knew it. And I surrendered my life to him. You need to answer this question for yourself. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 6. So in Matthew chapter 21, verse 6, it says, The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The crowds knew exactly who this was. Not, not just a, another... John, not another, you know, the name may have been common, but the man was not common. He was far from common. The crowds knew exactly who, who this was, and it was the multitudes who answered the question, who is this? This is none other than that Jewish carpenter from Nazareth of Galilee. D.A. Carson said, quote, The applause in the crowds were not manipulated. They would have occurred in any case. But the ride on a colt, because it was planned, could only be an acted parable, a deliberate act of self-disclosure. Secrecy was being lifted. The mystery was no more. It was being revealed. Here Jesus fulfilled prophecy, the prophecy of Daniel's 70 weeks, which many feel Jesus fulfilled to the exact day on his triumphal entry. Quite amazing. You can refer to Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. These people that knew who Jesus was were spreading their clothes and tree branches, including palm trees, on the ground before him. So what does this mean? Well, what the people were communicating, telling Jesus by doing this is that they recognized him as their king. They were giving him their loyalty and promise to support him. That's what they were communicating. That's what they were saying by doing this very thing. What the people were telling him was, you are king, you are Messiah, and we are hailing you as king. And this was definitely a triumphal entry. People before him and after him were shouting. Can you imagine the roar of the crowd, the applause, the rejoicing? Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Mark chapter 11 verse 9 says, And those who went before and those who followed were shouting. It wasn't something light. It was, it was shouting very loud. Luke chapter 19 verse 37 
says the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. John chapter 12, verse 13, and went out to meet him, crying out. So it wasn't like a, like a murmur in the background. It was, it was loud. People knew who is coming. Oh, behold, behold, your king is coming on a lowly colt. The suffering servant was approaching Jerusalem as the prince of peace. The people said of Jesus, son of David, he comes in the name of the Lord, king of Israel. Who is this? Rejoice greatly? Do we rejoice greatly knowing who Jesus is? I, I hope we do. I hope we do. To some, he may be considered a blasphemer, at least according to the religious leaders. Let's take a look now at Luke Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verses 39 and 40. This is after the disciples were rejoicing and praising God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Why were they telling Jesus, rebuke your disciples? What, what, what were they saying? Rebuke them. Tell them to stop. They're, they're hailing you as God. Salvation is in no other but God. We know that. And so you're receiving that? Uh, to, to them, he was at this point, of course, being seen and being considered to be a blasphemer. These were those who did not believe, even though they knew the scriptures the best. They didn't recognize him for who he was and who he is. Had they gone back to the Old Testament scriptures and looked at what the prophets had prophesied, what even Moses had written, they could have seen Jesus for who he was and who he is. It would have been very Clear. Go to Isaiah 53 and just take a look at that. Don't go now, but you can. Jot it down, Isaiah 53. Check it out. They were more interested in keeping their own authority and rule over the people, their place in the world, and favor in the eyes of the Roman king. That's what they were more interested in. I have no interest. I have no interest. You should have no interest in having that kind of position before people. What, what we should be most desiring of is pointing to the King, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can save. Look to him and him alone. May he have all authority over you. May he govern your life that ye may be blessed and he may be glorified. 
they were willing to sacrifice the truth for those things. They would rather kill the word and live for the world's favor rather than die to the world and live for the word. They had scripture before them, but were blind and were even calling Jesus a blasphemer because there was no doubt in their minds that Jesus was receiving praise that was only to be given to God. Hmm. I wonder why. And he was receiving. Why? Because he is God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He is the son of God. And Jesus himself answered the Pharisees, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I wish they would have. That, that would have been cool, right? Like, okay, guys, just stay quiet for a moment. You're going to hear something coming from the ground. Imagine that. That's not too hard for him. You look at creation, you know there's a creator. There's no way all of this came about by chance. There's no way that it can be held together by some just random series of actions, you know. Where did it all come from? It's got to come from somewhere. The only one that can create something from nothing is the Lord, God. There are those today that ignorantly and without searching, without searching out Scripture say to those who shout and cry out that Jesus is the Son of God to do the same thing. Rebuke them. Shut up. I don't want to hear it. Who is this? Do you rejoice greatly? And then it's, he is the Savior, Hosanna, the one who saves. Turn back with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. I want to look back at verses 12 and 13. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. All four Gospels record the people as shouting and crying out, Hosanna. But what does it mean? What does Hosanna mean? We sing it. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna is, is a cry. It's a proclamation. It's, a, it's, it's rejoicing as well when we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But what does it mean? It means save now. Save now. Not tomorrow. Save now. We are in desperate need of salvation. What is salvation? Salvation is being made right before the Father. Through the Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, in the garden, with the sin of Adam. Sin and We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. There's none righteous, the Bible says, no, not one. And, and so, fellowship is broken with the Father. 
because of that sin. The way to be reconciled, the way to be restored unto the Father is through the Son. He died in our place. We can't take this too lightly. He died in our place. He shed his blood on our behalf. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. He paid for our sin in full. For our sins, past, present, and future. And as we surrender to Jesus Christ, as we confess to him, confession is simply agreeing that we have offended him by our sins. We, we make confession, we agree with him that our sins are an affront to him. They are contrary to him. And, and we ask to be made whole in Jesus Christ as we surrender our lives to him and ask him for forgiveness. If we ask for, for, for his forgiveness, oh, he is so desiring to forgive us of our sins and make us right before the Father. He will bring us, if we're genuine about it, we'll have the hope of salvation in knowing his glory for all eternity. It, it is simple. And yet, sometimes it's the hardest thing that we can do because we love our sin. Cling to your sin and lose life. You lose life etern eternal. This life is short. I'm getting to know that as, as uh, I continue to... We all grow older, right? All of us. And we realize that, that life is short. And the most important thing, again, I remind you that we can take care of is our eternal security, knowing that we are right before the Father. That's the most important thing that we can do. That's it. And they're crying out, Hosanna. Save now. The people were praising God for sending the Savior who would deliver them from oppression and trouble. They were hailing Jesus as their king and recognizing him as the son of David. They believed that salvation had come, and indeed it had. But the king's victory was not an earthly one, as they expected, but rather an eternal victory over sin and death. The carrying of and laying down of palm leaves and other branches uh, basically was a symbol of victory and success. That's what it was a symbol of, and victory and success were indeed to come. Just a few days down the road, victory would come over sin on the cross and death as Jesus was resurrected from the grave. The king had come to conquer sin and death, riding in humbly on a colt into the city of David. David Guzik said, quote, Jesus came to Jerusalem in humility, yet with appropriate dignity. Instead of coming on a horse as a conquering general... He came on a colt, as was customary for royalty. He came to Jerusalem as the Prince of Peace. Close quote. The people had it right. Not fully understood at the time, and we know that. But Jesus came to seek and save the lost, according to Luke chapter 19, verse 10. So, the question is, who do you say that Jesus is? Do you believe he is the son of God who came to die on the cross for your sins? Not someone else's sins. Not to be a religious leader. 
but the Savior of the world? Is he your Savior? Do you believe that he was nailed to the cross for your sins, was buried, and on the third day was raised from the dead? I want to read, coming somewhat to a close here, in the same chapter, chapter 12 of John, verses 20 through 36, because there's more to it as we continue. Verse 20 says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Greeks to you and I would be very similar because, why? Because we're just Gentiles. We're not, we're not Jewish, right? And so you can say, hey, we're among them. We're referred to here. Now among those who went up to Jerusalem at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. And Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and it dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Verse 27 says, Now is my soul troubled. In what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Are you sons of light? Do you believe? Do you rejoice greatly? Do you know, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? It's only in that way that you can rejoice greatly and know that certain hope of forever being in God's glory for eternity. That's how you can rejoice greatly. Rejoice greatly. Salvation is here. The King has come. Why can we, re we rejoice because of the hope we have in Christ, Jesus came to give us life through his life, and that more abundantly. John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, I'll read it to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. 
Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This cry and this shout that came on this day, a little over 2,000 years ago, fulfilled prophecy, but was without full understanding of who Jesus was on that day. But today, there is no doubt and there is no excuse Today, we, the church, should cry out with full understanding that salvation has come. Do you know salvation? Would you exclaim, Hosanna in the highest. Glory to God. I am forgiven and saved from my sins by God's grace in Christ through my confession of faith that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for my sins, he was buried on the third day, he was raised from the grave. He is my Savior and he is my Lord. A man by the name of Charles Spurgeon said this. It is a mark of Christ's presence when the church becomes enthusiastic. We sometimes hear complaints about revivals being too exciting. Perhaps the censure is deserved, but I would like to see a little of the fault. This age does not generally sin in the direction of being too excited concerning divine things. We have erred so long on the other side that perhaps a little excess in the direction of fervor might not be the worst of all calamities. At any rate, I would not fear to try it. Close quote. I would not fear to try it. Can you rejoice greatly? My desire is that each and every one of you would be able to rejoice greatly. And I don't want to leave this morning without giving you an opportunity of proclaiming Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, if you've kind of just been coming to church and you've heard someone else has told you about Jesus Christ, you haven't made a personal confession to Him. You, you don't. He is our mediator, by the, by the way. You don't, you don't need a man to stand between you and God, just Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I pray that this morning would be the day of salvation, that today you would make things right with the Father by confessing your sin and asking Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And it will, it will certainly be a day of rejoicing. There can be no safer place for you to make that proclamation than in church with others who are praying and, and, and hoping that more people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, to know that hope of being with him. That's what we rejoice in. And you are encouraged at this very moment. And so I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to ask that uh, some of the leaders, uh, elders come up and um, and whether you'd like to make a first-time commitment to the Lord, I would ask that you would stand to your feet and come forward after this prayer. That we could encourage you and, and give you some direction and come alongside you. We'd so desire to do that, sincerely. For those of you who have perhaps um, been playing with the Lord, you're, you've not entirely turned your back on Him, but you need to make a recommitment. Today is the day in which 
you know, I encourage you, stand up, come up, let us pray for you and encourage you in that recommitment to the Lord. There are others who are just simply hurting for various reasons. I would ask, if you need prayer, come up, let us come beside you, alongside, and let us pray with you. With all sincerity, we desire that um, you allow us to be that body of believers that come alongside you and, uh, and help you and encourage you and pray for you. So I'm going to pray. And uh, after the prayer, the worship team come, come up. I'd like to ask again if uh, the leadership can come up and stand up here being ready for anyone who'd like to come up and, and pray to do so. Father, we thank you for loving us the way that you do, that you have. Your word tells us that you demonstrated your own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you, Lord, that you were willing to sacrifice yourself on our behalf. That we would know restoration. We would know reconciliation unto the Father. Simply with surrendered hearts, acknowledging our sin before you and surrendering our lives to you. As we surrender our lives, Father, you give in exchange for our sin and that surrender eternal life. Oh, what an exchange. What a beautiful exchange, Lord God, only through you. That indescribable gift, Lord, I pray that all who are here who don't know you would simply receive it and would cry out to you, save me now. Save me now. I so desperately desire to be made whole and know salvation in Jesus Christ. I pray that you would move in their hearts. I pray for those who have backslidden or prodigals, whatever label we want to give ourselves. Lord, you know that I was amongst those. And Lord, I thank you for receiving me, Lord, as I confess that I had turned my back on you. Lord, if there's anyone here who is in that place, Father, I pray that they too would respond, that they would come and simply ask for prayer, acknowledging you as Lord and Savior. We know that you wait with open arms, with an eternal love, with a perfect love for each and every one of us. I pray for broken hearts. I pray, Lord, that in that place, you, Lord, would display yourself as the God of all comfort. You desire that they would know peace, even in the midst of brokenness. Lord, you are able. We know that you can come and comfort, Father, as we ourselves have known comfort by you. So, Lord, may we come. May we stand to our feet. May we come forward and acknowledge you, proclaiming you and crying out to you. And may us as a church just simply come alongside and bless each other, encouraging one another and glorifying you. We thank you, Father. You are victory and you are our victory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.